All right, well, if you um, haven't been with us for the past couple weeks, we've been learning about Sabbath. Uh, Jose and Stephen have set us up really well in this series. First, to see Sabbath as an invitation, a gift from God to stop, to worship, and enjoy. And then secondly, to see Sabbath as a remedy for the cultural condition of restlessness that we often find ourselves in. Today, I'm going to talk about Sabbath as part of our discipleship. But before we jump in, I want to begin with a visual exercise. I want you to imagine with me, imagine that every single person in this room is aged 18 to 29. Now, some, yeah, some of you are like, yes, 18 to 29, go back to that. Some of you are like, please, I don't ever want to go back. I'm very satisfied with where I'm at. But just bear with me for a moment, okay? All of you, everyone in this room represents someone 18 to 29. And I want you to imagine that all of you have come from a church background. Now I want to ask the first two rows all the way across, will you just stand up for me, please? And this is a, this is a generous number. <laughs> Current research by Barna considered to be a leading research organization focused on the intersection of faith and culture, tells us about one in 10 18 to 29-year-olds with a Christian background qualifies as a resilient disciple. I've done this with our students, but I think it's really helpful and powerful for us to see this visually, to see this represented in the room. If, if all of you in this room are 18 to 29 and you've all come from a Christian background, only those standing are considered to be resilient disciples. You can sit down, thank you so much. Barna goes on to define a resilient disciple as those who do four things, attend church regularly and engage with their church through more than just attendance. Two, trust firmly in the authority of the Bible. Three, are committed to Jesus personally and affirm he was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. And four, to express desire to transform society as an expression of their faith. I would add to this list regular rhythms of Sabbath rest. Right now, we are seeing a discipleship crisis in the church. And this isn't just an issue for young adults. It's actually being seen across all age groups in the church. Barna also recently shared data finding that Two in five Christians are not engaged in discipleship at all. 40%. That, that's almost half of all Christians in the U.S. Now look, the words disciple or discipleship, they're, they're just not part of our everyday vocabulary. You know, Jesus says, go and make disciples. But how do we know if we're doing that? How do we know if we are even disciples ourselves? What is discipleship? Pastor and cultural commentator Mark Sayers, he uh, pastors a church in Australia. He uh, does a podcast called Rebuilders. Brilliant thinker, loves Jesus, and studies culture deeply. He succinctly defines discipleship as following Jesus with all of our lives. Now, there's three key aspects we're going to put on our thinking caps. We're going to be theologians for just, I, I promise I'll keep it to like two minutes. 
But there's three key aspects of discipleship that I want to quickly break down for us. Justification, regeneration, sanctification. Justification is being made right with God. It's receiving forgiveness of sin and acceptance as a child of God. Uh, Romans 5.1 says, and tons of passages I could go to, let me give you one. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we receive forgiveness of sin and acceptance as a child of God. We get this down, we have this down. We love it. We're like, thank you, God. I am justified. I'm made right in your eyes. The second piece of this is regeneration. It's when God imparts to us new spiritual life. This is the concept that you may be more familiar with of being, quote, born again. We see this in John 3. Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus. You have to be born again. Uh, it's where Paul says we're a new creation, and God's spirit dwells within us. It's the part that actually should impact our deepest desires, the heart transformation. And it gives us, through the power of the Spirit, the ability to make change in our lives. And then the third piece is sanctification. This is the becoming more like Jesus. Where do we get this from? Again, lots of places we can go. Let me give you one that I think is really helpful. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You see, this is a process. Out of obedience and faith, I'm living in the way Jesus lived. As Christians, as, as followers of Jesus, this is a journey that we embark on until the day when Jesus returns and makes all things new. You know, I often remind our students on Wednesday nights, um, look, everything in our world is forming us. And an hour and a half on a Sunday, or for our students on a Wednesday, it's a drop in the bucket of your formation. So we look to Jesus, who's empowered by the Spirit, for discipleship, for these counterformative habits. Our desire should be to follow Jesus with all of our lives, and that includes all of our time. So let me ask you this morning, what is it that prevents you from living this way? What is getting in the way of giving all of yourself to Jesus, all of your time? A.J. Swoboda, who uh, actually pastored a church in Portland. He teaches down in Eugene, wrote a really great book, Subversive Sabbath. And he says this, the Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result? Our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. It is not as though we do not love God. We love God deeply. We just do not know how to sit with God anymore. I want to help us see that Sabbath is essential to our discipleship. It's a critical practice for us if we're to become more like Jesus. 
if we're to, quote, live as Jesus did, because it helps us resist the formation of the world and live by the Spirit. So how did Jesus live this out? What I want to do, and I share this again with students a lot, I love this idea of teaching. I don't just want to tell you, like, well, here's what it says. I want to show you how I got there. And so I want to give you a tip this morning. If you are like, okay, Jesus, Sabbath, great, how do I do this? I'm just going to go to the scriptures and I'm going to open up and find everywhere where it says Jesus and Sabbath together. <laughs> the only problem is I don't think it's going to be as helpful as you might think. You're like, I don't get it, Ryan, why? I'm like, it's Jesus, it's Sabbath, it should. <laughs> One really helpful tool, you can do this on your own time, but it's a great resource, BibleGateway.com. Go to BibleGateway.com, type in a word search, Sabbath. I can go and see every instance of Sabbath in the New Testament in the Gospels and study what it means. And so it's, it's a great tool. I want you and I want to help you learn how not just what's right, but how do I read my Bible? How do I study this stuff? And so why, when I look this up, does it not make sense? Well, in the Gospels, <laughs> Jesus is often found on the Sabbath having to address the human distortions of Sabbath. What God had instituted as a time to stop and rest and delight in his presence had become fortified behind this nuanced wall of rules. Like, what do I mean by that? Have you ever been in a, a situation where you are, you're planning something, you're building something, creating something, and the question comes up, yeah, but what if dot, dot, dot. Our children are like experts at this, or at least mine are. <laughs> Papa, well, what if when we get there, there's a bear? I'm like, well, oh my gosh, well, what if there's a bear? <laughs> you know, we're, we're really great at asking all these what-if questions, but we'll see, this is exactly what the Israelites did with the law, with Sabbath and with many of the other laws. They, they came up with thousands of what if this? What if on the Sabbath, my donkey falls into a well? <laughs> Then what do I do? And, and they just went through this exercise of creating all these various, this, it's called an oral commentary. They call it the Mishnah. All these rules and laws to help them keep the law accurately. And I think what we see is Jesus comes on the scene and he's like, this is a distortion of the true heart of what God was after. And you see this in almost every instance. If you go, like I said, use that tool, BibleGateway.com. Go look up Sabbath in the New Testament with Jesus and the Gospels. In almost every instance, that's the issue. Jesus is here, and he's like, wait, you guys are missing it. it this is crazy, right? This week, um, our staff did this potluck dinner on Monday. We have some new members of the staff, as you know, and felt like, hey, let's just come together bring um, some elements of a meal, continue to get to know one another, enjoy fellowship. And I'm just like in teaching mode. And so when the week leading up to teach, I'm just processing thinking. Laura last night, like the girls are asking me something and I'm just like blankly. And Laura's like, oh, Papa's thinking right now. <laughs> but so I'm just thinking and I'm like, I go to get some water at the fridge and I'm like reading this label on the ice water dispenser. And it says, um, the actual label says Sabbath backing. And I was like, what in the world is this? So I, I go to look this up. I'm not kidding. This is what it says on Whirlpool's website. During the Sabbath or Shabbat, 
and religious holidays in Judaism, there may be restrictions on certain activities that can extend to the use of appliances. <laughs> restrictions may include turning appliances on or off, using control panels or activating lights and sounds. Sabbath mode allows people to use their household appliances without violating their religious laws. <laughs> When appliances are put into Sabbath mode, certain features may be modified or disabled to accommodate these needs. I am just thinking, like, Jesus is going, what in the world? Like, just give me some ice. Just give, just give me some cold water. Like, I, I'm, with, I'm with God. I am the living water. I, I don't know. I, you know, and even as I share this, I, I want you to catch the point of this. The human propensity is to miss the heart of God. For the Israelites, it was legalism. It was like, how, how many what-if questions can I put around this thing? For us, it's become freedom. It's, I'm free to do what I want. My time is my own. One consistency, though, with Jesus and Sabbath that you will see also in virtually every instance is healing. I love that. He heals. Jesus brings healing to brokenness, and not just literal healing to physical ailments, but he's bringing spiritual healing to important practices that have become distorted by humanity. Now, those who are healed, they can practice true rest in him. Did Jesus practice the traditional Sabbath? This is like, for some, the million-dollar question. Yes, there's nothing in the text to suggest otherwise. But Jesus also saw that the heart of the Father had been lost. Uh, John Mark Comer, he says this. He says, the Hebrew word Shabbat means to stop, but it can also be translated to delight. It has this dual idea of stopping and also of joying in God and our lives in his world. On the seventh day, God Shabbat, he stopped, he rested, he blessed, and he enjoyed what he created. And creation enjoyed him. Jesus doesn't just want us to keep rules. He wants us to be with him. It's about presence. And the practice of being with him shapes us to become more like him. And this is true delight. True joy that can only be satisfied in him. You know, Jesus reminds his disciples of his motivations for them by expressing his desire that, quote, My joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. That comes from John 15, verse 11. So Sabbath should be a time to stop, rest, delight, and enjoy time with Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, are you truly experiencing his joy within you? Do you, do you see the, the fruit of his joy being made complete in your life? I know for me, like, I, I deeply want his joy to be in me, and I want my joy to be complete. I want to see this work borne out in whom I am becoming. Okay, well, then how, how do we see Jesus practicing the true heart of Sabbath, this idea of rest and delight and being with the Father? If you have a Bible, turn in the scriptures to Mark 6. And as you're getting there, whether on the phone or, or in a paper copy, 
Let me just sort of set the stage for what's happening here. In the narrative of Mark's gospel, Jesus has settled into his public ministry. The 12 disciples are all with him. They're learning. They've begun, um, he's begun teaching and performing miracles. And now he comes to his hometown of Nazareth. And what does he do? Like a good Jew, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he goes and he starts to teach. But the people there, they, they take offense at him. They, they um, harden their hearts. And Jesus was unable to heal their brokenness. And it's at this point that Jesus sends out his disciples to participate in his work and mission. Now let's pick it up in verse 30. It says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, (laughs) they're so busy they, they can't even eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Pause. We see the attitude of Jesus towards stopping, resting, delighting in the Father. In fact, he invites his disciples to come away with him to a quiet place. Look at this picture of I just want you to like get this. This is the setting. In uh, I looked. In, this is the Sea of Galilee. In Tiberias today, it was 96 degrees. Outside, it's 59. It's rainy. You close your eyes, and Jesus is saying, "Come, get on the boat. Let's go into the, the middle of the of the lake. The sun's setting. Get away with me. Delight in my creation." Jose reminded me, it's not always sunny at the Sea of Galilee. He went there and it was pouring rain. (laughs) But the point (laughs) is to be with him. He gets them to stop and come away and rest in him. Now, you likely know the rest of the story. They land back on the shore. They're met by a multitude of people. Jesus sees this crew and he has compassion. He begins to teach them. He's feeding them both spiritually and then literally with bread and fish. This is the feeding of the 5,000. And the allusions to the exodus, to manna, which happens to be the first mention of Sabbath in the scriptures, are very strong here. There's no doubt they would have been recognized by those first hearing this. I think Jesus is trying to get them to see that he is the true rest they are seeking. And when the pace picks up in Jesus' ministry, he continues to practice and build the habit of getting away. In Luke 5, we read, yet the news about him spread all the more. He's got now like, you know, 1.5 million Instagram followers. It's really picking up speed here. (laughs) Um, The crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness, but Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. Even as Jesus becomes busier, the demands of his ministry greater, he made it a habit and a priority to withdraw and be alone with the Father. Hear this. Jesus doesn't just do it out of necessity. Ultimately, we see him do it out of obedience. Jesus lived his life in obedience to the Father. 
On Wednesday nights, um, we've been going through with our youth students a teaching series on prayer. And it's incredible. I, I love this series. It's been based around the Lord's Prayer because the disciples only ever asked Jesus to teach them one thing out of everything they could have asked him to teach. Hey, Jesus, when you did that walk on water thing, that was pretty cool. Could you, could you teach us that? No, he, he sa- they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And, and I want you just to catch, I'm just going to get a couple lines. You know, we, some of you have memorized this. One, it's a, it's a daily prayer. Hey, come, uh, Jesus, um, or sorry, Father, hallowed be your name. Give us today our daily bread. So he's trying to show them a daily rhythm of coming and being with the Father. And then he says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus demonstrates not only that his time is subject to the Father, but all of his life. For this is discipleship. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project says this, in the history of Sabbath practice, one of the main things it does is inconvenience my life one day in a weekly rhythm. It reminds me that my time is not my own and that it's subject to the rule and reign of God. Look, this helps me grow as a disciple of Jesus because it helps me grow my trust in God's rule. I can pause, I can rest, and I can trust that God has things under control. This week, um, as I was, you know, my daily rhythm is I wake up, I read the scriptures, I, I try really hard to do that. And right now I'm reading along with our youth students. Wow, you guys are in the front row. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm reading along with our students. We, we create a Bible reading plan. Uh, every day of the week we ask our students, hey, jump in and read the scriptures with us. And because we've been doing a series on prayer, we've been reading the Psalms. The Psalms are the prayer book of the scriptures. And so we started this reading plan, you know, 50 days ago. I had no clue this is going to line up, Right. And every day this week as I'm opening my prayer time, I'm thinking to Sunday, and I'm like, Lord, I just want you to speak to your people. My resounding prayer has been, help me be clear, help them respond. Help all of us respond to this word. So I'm reading the scriptures, and Monday is Psalm 40. And we, you know, a really well-known psalm. If you don't know it, uh, you too wrote a song about it. I will sing, sing a new song. (laughs) Beautiful psalm. And then in verse 12, I read this, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. And I'm praying and thinking and meditating and I'm like, gosh, where do I know that phrase? Like the hairs of my head. I'm like, Jesus says this in Luke 12. He says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And I really took that, and maybe this is for you this morning, I took the spirit to be saying, some of you are like, but but Ryan, I can't take a rest. I can't take a day where I just do nothing and hang out with Jesus. I'm busy, I have stuff to do. There is more than, you know, the hairs of my head of things that I have to do. And Jesus is like, yeah, I numbered all those. I am God, I'm in control you can let me be in control for one day a week. You know what today's psalm was? 
I'm telling you, I can't plan this stuff. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I think that's for someone this morning. In this sense, it's what makes this so critical to discipleship, to my becoming more like Jesus. I'm practicing laying down my authority over my time, my life to God's authority. And in this way, practicing Sabbath should impact all of our time. If, our, if discipleship is this process and all of life practice, then the benefits should be spilling over into all of life. This is a brilliant, right to the point quote, Walter Brueggemann. People who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. That's what we're talking about. Discipleship should form us to be more like Jesus so that the other days I'm different. I'm a light unto the world. This formative process of becoming more like Jesus, prioritizing, submitting to a time of rest one day a week, it inherently impacts how we show up the other six. Okay, this is like a time, I mean, I just like threw so much at you. Where is the... Uh, my professor says, where's the broth? That's a lot of meat, right? And we need like some broth in our soup. Here's the practical. This is like what this has looked like in my life. You've heard from Jose and Stephen, you know, ways they're practicing Sabbath. And I'd like to do the same with the hope that this will be helpful for you. But first I want to encourage you, this really is something new. You know, Jose touched on this in week one. This is new across the church. This is something that's been lost, that's being recovered. So you should have no sense of like, you know, feeling bad. Like, man, have I been, you know, doing something wrong? Like, this is a new practice that people are trying to regain and see. We're looking at the scriptures and saying, wait a second. You know, Jesus did something differently here that we've been missing out on. And so this is new for, for my family in the last five years. But I can tell you, we've really seen some fruit for it in our lives I've, I've personally seen the fruit of it in my own life and how I show up in the world. Um, but I, I have to tell you, this is something you gotta fight for. Uh, Dallas Willard, I think, says it, and I, I could say it, but I, his words were really impactful in prepping this week. He says this, the general human failing is to want what is right and important but at the same time, not to commit ourselves to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. I'll take it from the Bible. Paul says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. (laughs) That's what Willard just says in a more poetic way. Look, remember, church family, our, as our pastoral Hartfords, we love you. We want to see you grow to be more like Jesus. And we, we believe that us as a renewed people can make a huge impact in our city and beyond. And so as Jose put so eloquently, our goal is at the, at the end of this four weeks, at the end of this series, that you'll have enough information and have had enough conversations to learn from one another and take just a few steps in a healthy direction of becoming more like Jesus. And so for me, uh, beginning to practice Sabbath began with a simple practice of self-restraint. 
I knew that this was robbing me of my ability to stop and delight my phone. When I first started to learn more about Sabbath and some of the helpful ways to practice it, I knew immediately that what I needed in order to stop and delight was to turn my phone off. And so, honestly, we started with that simple step. Uh, Laura kept her phone on in case of an emergency, but I completely powered my phone off and put it away for a full 24-hour period. Friday night, 5 o'clock, done. I did all the prep, shut it down in a drawer, do not turn back on until 5 p.m. Saturday. And uh, honestly, (laughs) I didn't think it was that challenging. (laughs) I'm not special. I think I found it freeing. I think I found it freeing. It was refreshing. And over time, that practice of doing that, it helped instill more self-control in me. I would notice it at times later in the week when the phone was on. Sabbath is a habit that transforms our heart. This began to impact not just the day I rested, but the rest of the way I lived. I could catch myself like, you know, we've all felt it. You're like, oh, I'm in line phone, that'll help me like deal with this line where I have to wait. And I would, or I have these like, I have the, the round rhythm. It's like, I pull out the phone, I go BBC, read the news. Oregon Live, oh, what are the ducks up to? I love the ducks. Read the news. ESPN, what's going on? Done. And I'll be like, I'm like, what am I doing? This is like, this thing's controlling me. I'm not controlling it. And I'd be like, wait, I need to just like, Stop. And so I have the power to do that in practicing that habit. It gave me the self-control to stop mid-like reading and go, what am I? I don't need this right now. I'm with, like, my daughter's in the room. (laughs) The second thing that I want to share that is especially helpful for those of us in a season of parenting, uh, especially those with younger children, but hear me, this is helpful for all of us whether you have children or not. But, but as this relates to parenting, um, I'm not a fan, personally, of using a parental season as a, as a reason for excuse. Give yourself grace. But I actually think it makes it all the more important, what we do. Why? Because this isn't just about my discipleship. This isn't just about our discipleship. It is also about us making disciples of our children. My wife, Laura, had a brilliant idea and a way to incorporate our girls, Eleanor and Lilia, in our Sabbath practice. She created what I'll call a Sabbath rock memorial. You want to throw that slide up? This is super cool. Each Sabbath, one of us would get to pick out a rock and write a word on the rock, a word to help focus our Sabbath, peace, rest, Love, forgiveness, grace, refuge, light, Jesus. This word would act as a theme to rest and delight in for our entire day. It would stem from a verse or a passage that we would read together, and we would pray, and then we would have pizza, the greatest Sabbath meal. Uh, I asked our girls actually this week, I said, hey, girls, can I ask you when we were really, when we've done this really well, when we've practiced Sabbath well, what's been your favorite part of Sabbath? And Lily, our six-year-old, was like picking out the rock. 
My, my six-year-old has a vision of a really transformative practice in becoming more like Jesus at age six that hopefully she's going to carry into life. She's seen this model. She's not seen us on our phones or rushing to the next thing. She's seen us prioritize us in our lives. So I think I, I, I'm say this with love and grace and not from a place of perfection. But we cannot go, well, I have kids. This is really hard. I can't do that. I actually think we need to fight for it. What, what do I need to give up? Maybe I need to cancel something. Maybe it's one last activity for our children. Because what's more important? That my child sees what it looks like to follow Jesus or that they make it to the next level of, I'm not going to pick on a sport, but you, you, got, you get it. I asked Eleonora, Eleonora is our eight-year-old, hey, what's your favorite part of when we practice Sabbath? <laughs> Parents not being on their phones. Wow. This is profound, and maybe it's obvious, but her delight is being with us, her parents. It's built into who she is. And much like all of humanity, at our core, we long to be with the Father. It's built into who we are. It's what we were created for. So let's move to sort of a time of response and reflection of this. I want to remind us that there's hope. I opened our time this morning by alluding to a discipleship crisis. But crisis is always an opportunity when it's renewed through the spiritual vision that Jesus gives us. I'll do this with me right now, actually. Everyone stand. If we claim to be disciples of Jesus, we should see growth in becoming more like him. One of the greatest gifts you can give to others is your transformed self in the likeness of Jesus. So what could this look like for you? What is one step you could take this week to submit your time to the authority of Jesus? New habits are always hard, so give yourself grace. But Jesus offers us joy, and you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Imagine that example at the beginning, two rows of people standing. What if 100% of us were disciples of Jesus, sent out into the world, living from a place of rest and delight? How would our city look different? How would we see healing coming to brokenness?